The nail in the coffin! Post-college football national championship game edition of The Nail. I'm Tom. He's Travis. Trav, I'm going to be honest. After we wrapped up last week, I wasn't quite sure what we would be talking about the next time we did one of these. But uh, after that game last night, my goodness, where do you even begin? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, full disclosure, didn't watch it live yesterday. Made a conscious decision not to watch it live i was not going to contribute to the ratings in any way shape or form conscientious uh, objector <laughs> yeah you got it you got that right uh, <laughs> i i went back and watched it today because i i do love college football i still needed to watch the game it was you know for all the marbles as they say and i watched it on twitter so that actually provided uh, a unique and interesting experience okay go on so I obviously follow a lot of sports people and a lot of what I obviously a lot of what I do on Twitter revolves around that. I don't know that I've ever seen so much like you, you had a pretty good feel for what was happening in the game without seeing a single play or reading a single name or any description about, um, you know, what was actually happening in the game. You could, you could really get a feel for like the t- how the tone of the game was moving, how who was up, if a big play just happened. I'd, I'd obviously never done this before, where I f- sort of followed along simply by you know ra- random text updates in 280 or less characters. Nobody took 280 characters. It was literally just a bunch of "Wow, that's nuts! Holy shit!" all that type of stuff. <laughs> um, but I, I did. I had a pretty good feel for what was going on in the game, and it's 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 not something I'll make a habit of. But I was surprised at how well I was able to sort of follow along with it. It's interesting that you did that, and I'm glad you actually went back and watched the game today because, uh, for obvious reasons, I think that'll make for a better podcast here, hopefully. But um, I also had kind of a unique way of watching it last night. I I am a big fan of the mega cast that ESPN does every year. And when there's a a game, especially if it's neither team that I have a particularly strong rooting interest in, although I was pulling for Georgia last night, um, I I like to try to mix it up and look at some of the different feeds. I remember one year I watched the coach's film room for pretty much the entire game. And last night I had started watching the game on my iPad and the main feed was just having all kinds of problems, and I don't think I was alone. I saw a lot of people on Twitter flipping out about that. So I said, all right, I'm going to just try to watch one of these other feeds, and I found the Skycam. And I know the NFL's kind of experimented with it this year, having a couple of the Thursday night games where they showed the majority of the game from the Skycam. This, it was literally, we're going to camera five or whatever number, the, the Skycam is, and we're just going to leave the, that channel on that feed the entire time. No replays, and the other thing, no announcers. It was strictly co- uh, crowd noise and, you know, ambience, stadium noise and things like that, and um, it was... A, did you watch, like, the entire game this way? I did. It was that awesome. Sounds, that sounds fascinating. I should throw a disclosure in. 
I did tune in for about a minute and a half to see Gundy's mullet. Um, which is fucking fantastic, like next to other normal looking people and he's not wearing his visor. It's incredible. It looks like a wig. But I will say quick comment about that coach's room thing. That's too many cooks in the kitchen, man. It's hard to follow along with what any of them are actually saying. I did it the they first need to trim year. It down to like, I like it in theory, but they need to trim it down to maybe like three or four. I think they had seven guys in there yesterday. Oh, yeah. See, that's that's way too many. The, the first year they did that, that was the year that I watched it. And I think they had three or four. And uh, it made Matt Mellon even super watchable, which was just a feat in itself. But yeah, wow. um, no, the Skycam was awesome. Uh, I mean, it wasn't perfect because there were a few plays where you're kind of wondering, okay, I'd like to see that again. And you don't get the replay or you're not necessarily 100% sure what's going on. So I kind of needed Twitter to fill in the gaps. But um, you get a whole new appreciation for how plays develop. And the thing that I was not prepared for was just how much faster the game looks when you're that close. I mean, it's basically hovering just about five or ten yards at most behind the running back in the backfield. And it, you know, follows along with the action. Um, just an awesome way to, to keep up with the game. And it was kind of cool for the, the field goals at the end of the game. They kind of zoomed back. So it was on almost an angle, and it was hovering over the Alabama sideline for both because it was trying to basically frame the shot that you'd be able to see all the Bama players come running out onto the field to celebrate when the kick was made. And uh, obviously it didn't really work out for them um, at that point in the game. But, uh, yeah, they tried some different stuff with that that Skycam. And uh, not having announcers, I'm guessing that probably wouldn't be for everybody, but... um, I think is kind of a one-off. I don't know that I'd want to do that every single game, but in this case, I didn't really feel like I was missing a ton, not getting Fowler and Herbie. So I was going to uh, say, it sort of surprised me because you're one of those guys who typically feel like you're not just a traditionalist. You really like have, I think probably a greater appreciation for the announcers than the average watcher does. Yeah. And Herbie's good. Um, Fowler. Herbie's it, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, Herbie, I think Herbie kind of gets taken for granted at this point. He maybe That's doesn't fair. have, he maybe doesn't have the fanfare or the voice or the, you know, the catchphrases that the guys of, of years past have, you know, your, your Musburgers and, uh, Lundquist and all those guys. But as far as a guy that can tell you what's going on in the game, he's, a, he's as good as it gets, I think. Yeah. Fowler had some rough moments yesterday. Fowler was, uh, little shaky i'm not sure i'm not sure the jump to the broadcast booth was a good one quite honestly at this point yeah, that's that was the thing i was going to say it's kind of hard with with him because he feels overqualified to be hosting the studio show at this point at game day but i don't know that he has quite the horsepower to be the top uh you know a crew play-by-play guy either so i don't really know what you do with him there and he's been on espn college football forever and he's not that old, so it's kind of a weird spot. And I don't know, I guess you kind of hope he grows into that role over the years because I'm sure he's not going anywhere. Yeah, um, and I mean, he was he was fantastic on game day. I mean, he was – Right. And and he does he does a lot of other sports. I think that's the thing a lot of people don't realize. Like, he does tennis a lot. He, he's very – and I mean, he's spread all across the board. It's just his transition to football, uh, the booth at least, has not been – it's not been without its uh, without its speed bumps. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing him at the Australian Open in a couple of weeks. I, for some reason, that has become 
Um, one of my, uh, I, I've become strangely hooked to that event in the last few years for whatever reason. They played all, all those matches at weird hours. It's like the perfect. Oh, you're thing. With, you're with Stucky and the the team no sleep, huh? Well, it's just it's it's a perfect thing to fall asleep to. It's you know it was the same reason I used to always watch poker after dark when NBC had that on at two in the morning or whatever it was, it was minimal talking and just kind of, you know, back then it was the, the poker chips clinking on the table. This is just, you know, volleys going back and forth, but you want to see interesting Twitter. Sure. Um, DJ nation comes out hard for that stuff. Okay. Those, it's like late at night. Those are the only people that are awake and they're all talking to each other. They're, they all have like, everybody's gambling on stuff. It's pretty wild to watch my, one of my roommates used to, um, he used to get pretty into it, and when I, you know, was could stay up a little bit later, I'd stay up watching. It was like, geez, this is this is a different. It's a segment of society that I did not realize existed on the internet. Perhaps it's better that I continue to not know about that society. <laughs> but speaking of uh, wild things to watch, let's let's spin it back to the game last night. Um, just I I I've thought about this a long time after I went to bed last night, and even today, there are a lot of brutal losses that I've seen in my lifetime that it's, if there's uh, any that are worse than what Georgia went through last night, it's a pretty short list. Um, just, I mean, you think about the fact that they led virtually what? 50, 57 minutes or, or so. I mean, they, they we'll did, put it yeah. to you this way. They never trailed until the last play of the game. Yeah. So they were either tied or in the lead for virtually for the entire game up to that point. But you know, you give up, you, you know, you lose your lead and the, the game is tied on a fourth down play where a receiver was blatantly, uh, had blatantly jumped, false start, not called. Um, one of probably about three or four calls that I think Alabama got away with. I was um, going to say anybody that thought the Big Ten wouldn't have a wouldn't have a say in who wins the <laughs> title this year. Sadly mistaken. Oh, Jim no. <laughs> Delaney, uh, Jim Delaney will not go quietly into the night. <laughs> and he did not. Um, so yeah, you have that happen. And at that point, you know, Georgia's gets a shot with the ball back and I think they end up having to what punt it away or did they turn it over there? Or what, what happened that Bama got the ball back, you know, has a chip shot to win it in regulation, you know, they shank that and all of a sudden Georgia's, Hey, we're back in business. And then, you know, Georgia, it starts looking bad again because, they're stuck having to kick a 51-yard field goal. And so, I mean, just think about the last three plays in this game alone. You make a 51-yard field goal to go ahead in overtime. You, the, on the first play on defense, sack the opposing quarterback for a 16-yard loss. And the very next play, you give up a 41-yard walk-off touchdown to lose the national um, championship. And I don't know what happened there, but that was the worst. Um, I bet they haven't had... Uh, a blown coverage that bad all season. Oh, and from that sky cam view, oh, I, it's I, so I, glaring. You could, you know, you like I was saying, you could see the running holes opening up when, on all those rushing plays. But that was one in the secondary before uh, that quarterback from Bama even looked over that way. I looked over there. I said, "Oh God, no! Like, please don't!" <laughs> as soon as he looked, it's like, "Oh, this isn't happening." And yeah, it's uh, just brutal. Somebody, I can't remember who it was. There was one of the reporters that was covering the game had video from on the field behind the goalposts. So, you know, it was just in the stadium. And I think that crowd was probably about 65 or 70% Georgia. And you'd have thought someone just collapsed at midfield or something. And it just, the, the, the air went out of that building like I've never seen. That was just an awful, awful 
um, surreal way to end a championship game, especially for a program. You know, I, I mentioned when we were talking about that game a little bit, you know, leading up to it last week, I said Georgia's got kind of a tortured history in big moments. Holy shit, nothing like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they just uh, added to that legacy and maybe the uh, maybe the piece de resistance for that for that uh, for that story. Um, it was it was brutal to watch because it, it's hard for me to watch knowing what happened. Obviously, um, I obviously knew that Georgia was going to lose in overtime, and watching it today, like you sort of I'm watching it late in the game and instead of being mad because you know a certain play didn't go a certain way it's like I know that the the accumulation of these things the one thing that infuriated me the most um from a Georgia standpoint in terms of what they did there was a point right before they punted um on punted it away on the drive that would have gone to you know that would end up then Alabama scoring a touchdown and tying the game they had like two plays in a row where they just ran the, the most like mind blowing plays. Like they were in wildcat when they needed like two yards. I'm like, why don't you just line up the fucking quarterback and run the running back up the middle? Like, I don't know what they were doing. Like it, it was all just baffling me and I'm watching it. Like, yeah, you guys are going to, you guys deserve what you're going to get right now. Like no one really deserves this emotionally, but <laughs> I can I can absolutely see why this got away from you guys. Yeah, ironic that you know you think back to the Rose Bowl and they were able to get back into that game and ultimately pull it out against Oklahoma because of some questionable play calling by Oklahoma down the stretch. And yeah, they returned the favor. Right, right. Um, yeah, how about the decision that Saban made to switch quarterbacks at halftime? Um, it's one of those. Like everyone today is saying, uh, first off, yeah, it, it took balls and, and you never, I don't know that there's ever been a, a comparable in game move in a huge game like that. Um, I can't think of one, especially not in recent memory, but yeah, what can you say? It worked masterfully. I mean, Saban's a, there's no denying Saban is the, obviously he's the greatest college ball college football coach since we've been alive um and it's one of those moves that you're gonna look at and be like jesus no one else makes that move but that's why he's nick saban and he's got six titles the thing of that is though at at the same time so they they get the touchdown which by the way that touchdown drive they had benefited from two very shaky calls um that again went their way um so you don't get those. And, You're talking about the false star. What was the other one? I think they, there was like a uh, no. The the missed, the missed face mask was when Georgia had the ball. There, I, that was in the first half. Let's just run these all down because there's there's the missed face mask. There was a blocked punt that they called off sides where they did not go off sides. Right. Um. There was a play where uh, the Alabama guy basically punched the Georgia guy. He got a 15-yard penalty. He obviously should have been ejected from the game. Um, there was that another was the same one. guy that also took a punch at their at coach. one of the coaches. <laughs> yeah. 
it was that was that was probably the funniest thing I saw on Twitter is everybody saying, "Well, 48's done," and then the very next like kickoff, they're like, "Oh no, Saban doesn't care." Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, then there was what one of the guys tackled the uh, tackled Jake Fromm on like third down and like shoved his head into the ground pretty blatantly right in front of a ref that didn't get called like. It was it was a bad day for Big Ten refs because there's a handful of calls that were terrible, like inexcusable calls that all went Georgia's way. Maybe I was probably I missed the, or that's what I meant. Yeah, uh, when I, yeah went against Georgia. Maybe obviously I was rooting for Georgia, so I'm watching it with a, a bit of bias. But I didn't really see anywhere. I was like, oh man, Georgia really got away with one there. Yeah. Um, so the other thing I was going to say, I mean that that touchdown drive. So, I mean, the, the quarterback there, Tua, I can't even pronounce his last name, and apparently neither could anybody else because of all the sports radio I listened to today, not a single person referred to him by his last name. Um, he had that just wild play where he scrambled and got the first down. Oh, um, yeah, they had him dead to rights. On the if back if they tackle him there. That game's over. Exactly. And, and he also – so, like, even after they scored that touchdown – Georgia came back with one of their own. I think they forced a turnover at, at some point there in the second half. Yeah, and the next drive that on that awful throw by him. Right, right. And then Georgia gave it right back with the D-line pick. So um, that was the thing. Like, even as Bama was chipping away, it wasn't, for the most part, like Georgia was imploding. I mean, they seemed like they were, you know, going to be able to hold on, and it just kept getting closer and closer. And, and oof, there you go. But, uh yeah, I mean, so we, we talk about the wild sequence to finish the game, and we've kind of touched at various points on the crazy stuff with Bama. But, yeah, I mean, you think about this. And from basically halftime on, they pull their two-year starter for a 19-year-old true freshman quarterback who's played almost not at all this year. They have a guy punch an opposing player on the field, take a swing at a coach on the sideline, immediately come back in the game. They had another player uh, collapse on the sideline in the third quarter. Yeah, I didn't hear. Was there an update on him today? I did not I hear. I didn't see anything, but. Yeah, so you have your kicker miss two field goals, including one that would have won the game as time expired in regulation. So, I mean, they had all that shit going on, and they still find a way. It's just, on, on so many levels, that's just, a, it blew my mind. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they, they had some, they obviously had, some mistakes they made that put themselves in a hole, but they got a fair amount of help um, from the guys at Stripes. They got a fair amount of help from Georgia. Um, it's one of those things where just they, when it mattered, they did just enough, and Georgia did, you know, they didn't really make it. The thing is, they didn't really make any, like, back-breaking errors. No. Usually, in a case like that, you can point to, like, a really bad... Like, they did have the interception, but it was right after they intercepted Bama, so it didn't... It was right. sort of a wash. Usually, you know, there's, like, a, a really bad, like, pick six or a fumble or something that just completely changes the tide. That just never really happened. Yeah, and I thought that... It was just that, sort of a slow burn. I thought that was going to happen when they got sacked on third down in overtime. By the way, did you realize that since the uh, the BCS started that that was only the second ever championship game to go to overtime. Yeah, Ohio State. Right. Miami in 2002. Ohio, double OT for Ohio State Miami. I did not realize that there had not been a single other national championship game that's gone to overtime. 
So was there a, was there a playoff game that had gone before? Obviously, Georgia Oklahoma did the week before, but was there any that did before that? I don't think so. I don't think so either. They've kind of been honestly, they've kind of been turds for the most part. Yeah, <laughs> Ohio State them, Alabama was real dramatic. Was, was but, a good one, right? But, but that ended in regulation. That, yeah. Um, so, but yeah, so no, I, I thought that the catastrophe that was going to ultimately sink them was going to be that third down play. And that was another one where, uh, having the sky cam view, you can kind of see disaster unfolding because right before Georgia snapped the ball, one of the tackles, um, for Bama basically shifted over like a half a gap or whatever, and then ran this stunt and, the Georgia center and the right guard had no clue what the hell was happening. And this guy blew right through up the middle and, and got the sack. And it was like, Oh God, now they're stuck kicking, kicking a 51 yard field goal. I mean, how many times are you going to trust a college kicker from 51 yards? The guy drilled it. Um, so it's like, well, damn. All right. They survived that disaster in the next play. Um, you know, they get the sack of their own and it looks like they're in business and just that yeah, quickly. It's looking like Alabama's going to have to count on their kicker. Their kicker who has been a clearly, dumpster fire all night. Clearly, clearly a little rattled. Right, right. And instead, um, in just instant fashion that, uh, the rug gets pulled out and who boy, um, you know, I, were you surprised that, uh, did you see the TV rating for that game? I know you said you were sitting it out, but did you see what the number was for today? Yeah, it was uh, a little bit higher than last year. Um, overall, it was interesting because overall the playoffs or the postseason overall was up 10%. Right. The playoff games specifically were up 18%. Um, and the title game, I want to say, was up only like 7 or 8%. Um, but I saw someone say that the, the playoff number this year included – streaming while previous years did not which is sort of a big shift and i'm not sure how much of that number that would actually make up but it's not insignificant i wouldn't think yeah especially so more people st- are cord cutters and things like that but um yeah it's uh, i mean this is where uh you know you, you gotta put your pr people on it i guess if you're espn because yeah it did not top the ohio state oregon game that still goes down as the highest watched uh, game in the the playoff history anyway in the four years they've been doing this but it also I think was I might be wrong on this I think it was the second highest behind that uh, Ohio State Oregon game the second biggest cable audience ever really yes okay so I mean so I think gangbusters numbers and I, I just I think it's interesting that the semifinals were up over last year and the year before, and they were almost as good as three years ago, which coincidentally was the last time that the semis were on New Year's Day. And, I mean, I knew that the semis were going to be up again, but I really thought the championship game with being all SEC was going to be down, but it seems like they were able to carry that interest over. And it just really kind of puts the spotlight down on the fact that they're really screwing the pooch by not making the semis on New Year's Day every year. Yeah. Um, Yeah, for sure. I mean, the one thing, I'm not totally sure. When you look at the playoff or the postseason and the playoffs, both of those, you know, had a higher viewer rate than, or higher increase than the title game did. So you lost some of those people that were watching the week before. Um, 
but overall, I mean, the growth is the growth is marginal. I'm curious if if they obviously, like you said, they're going to put a PR spin on. I'm curious if they consider it like if they consider it a success or if they're if they're looking at it and thinking. Oh, you I know, think they have to. Liked it. I almost think they would have wanted a bigger number. I, mean, I feel like it's one of those things, and and maybe the Ohio State game. I'm not sure. Is it because you think it was the first one, or because it was Ohio State who has that large fan base, or because let's, I mean, let's be honest, Alabama and Georgia are fairly regional schools. Um, same with Clemson and Alabama last year and the year before that. So they're not, you know, they don't have the large national fan base. I think Bama Bama pops a bigger rating than you'd probably be willing to give them credit for. I think if you talk to most TV people, they would tell you that depending on the year, Ohio State and Alabama are the two best draws nationally. Okay, I can agree with that. But I I, I think in general, um, you're not – I don't know. I guess I feel like with how these things go, you're supposed to – break the record every year and now obviously they beat the year before and the year before that but the record you know the the first year was the one that was number one the second year was higher than last year even yeah it had, it so had it gone dropped, steadily down the last three it years dropped three years in a row and this year it finally spiked back up a little bit um so that's encouraging but you almost wonder like what what where do you think that obviously they use these numbers? Uh, I think they gave it what a sixteen seven right. yesterday. Um, what would they have considered a success, and what would have been? You know, I don't know where that where that line is, but you're thinking that they have to think it was absolutely a success. A- absolutely, especially okay. when you consider the teams that were involved. I mean, I I think it was a very real concern that you weren't going to draw very well because I don't think the Alabama LSU game. What was that six or seven years ago? I don't think that did very well at all. And that no, game was it did just not. abhorrent to watch, but um, and that certainly didn't help things. And I think last night the way that game went, I know the scoring was a little slow to get going, but um, you know that was kind of the other thing. Even though it was a low-scoring game, maybe I was just engrossed by the novelty of watching the sky cam. But I never really felt bored watching that game. It, it never seemed lame to me at all. Um, it was, it was interesting watching those teams go back and forth. It was, um, it it was physical. It was fast. Um, I, you know, I felt like the quarterbacks were missing their targets a little bit, but I mean, you had two freshmen out there, especially, I mean, once, uh, uh, Bama put the the backup in, but, um, you know, overall, I, I thought it was a pretty exciting game all around, even before all the insanity in the fourth quarter. Um, but hey, yeah, I'd agree. No, I'd agree with that. All right. So, uh, I'm glad you you just said that because I know one of your primary concerns with when we do these things is that you think we agree too much. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to bring something up where I don't think we're going to agree. All right. Give it to me. So we have our fourth year of the playoff in the oh, books. We're definitely not going to agree. I already know where you're going. I go you, for it. You have been a staunch defender of the four team playoff. Having seen what we saw this year during the bowl season, both in the four teams that were in the playoff and you look at the other teams that were in the New Year's Six Bowls, are you still comfortable with only four teams in? Absolutely, without a doubt. 
unequivocally. This I will tell with you with extreme prejudice. Okay, all right. Well, let's let's roll up our sleeves and get into it then, because I will tell you, this was the first time I think I am willing to at least because I I've been with you on that. I like four. I don't like cheapening the regular season, and and you know the whole nine yards there. But this was the first time that I think I was willing to consider that maybe expanding it is the right way to go. And whether we like it or not, I think sometime down the road it's going to happen. I um, agree that it's going to happen. I do not have to like it. <laughs> let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Sure. Can you at least agree that six is a bad idea? Yeah, I was on that bandwagon for a while just because I liked the I, <clears throat> Geez, I had a Sean McDonough there moment is. there cracking. There he is. Um, <laughs> I, I, I for a while I was kind of on the bandwagon with six because I felt like eight was too many and I liked that idea of the couple of teams with the best regular season getting some sort of a reward. Um, but the problem the problem with it is it's a completely subjective reward. Right. Like I don't want two guys to say yeah these two teams get a week off these other four go beat the shit out of each other. Right. Like that's especially just, that's when just you absurd. see this year no one is that no one deserves that much of a. An when, advantage. Yeah, especially this year when you see in the playoff, there were three playoff games and the lower seeded team won every single time. So it's like, you know, did, did you necessarily have them ranked in the right order? I don't know about that. Um, and, you know, the thing that really got the wheels turning in my head about all of this is, uh, and I know you're going to roll your eyes at this, but Central Florida, uh, UCF. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying they'd have won had they gotten into the playoff, and I'm not saying they deserved to be in over any of the four teams that made it. The counter, though, that I will offer up is that, you know, for years we have heard, well, they're, you know, these group of five schools, they 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 could never survive the grind of a power five schedule. None of the five or none of the four teams that made the playoffs survived it unblemished either. They all lost the game. And you look at what UCF did this year. You know, I think I threw these numbers out in passing when we were doing our bowl preview a couple weeks ago. They went undefeated through the season. They won every game by double digits and they led the country in points per game. And then you see them go into their bowl game against Auburn, who, by the way, was the only team to beat the two championship game participants and they went in and beat them pretty soundly as well. So in other words, I think that, you know, if you're ever going to have a group of five team, make a case, I don't know literally what they could have done to be any more impressive than they were. And under the current system, they have absolutely no chance of ever being involved. And it just makes me wonder what are we doing here? Like if you, if you got all these teams in the, the, the group of five conferences, the lower conferences who enter the season, knowing they could do absolutely every single thing right during the year. And they still have no shot in hell of playing for a championship. And they're not interested in breaking off into a, a separate subdivision to play for their own playoff or whatever. You know, it just, it, it, it seems kind of unfulfilling. Yeah. But, and that's, and you kind of just stole my idea. I think we need to stop pretending that the other five are part of the same group. And I'd be fine with breaking them off. They just need to be their own division. They just need to be their own division already. Like, let's stop pretending that, you know, 
if you play no one and go undefeated, I, I'm not going to totally denigrate it because you got the schedule you have and and you play it and you won all your games and that's all anyone should realistically ask of you. And that's why I think you need to just break them off completely because at the same time, there's teams out there that are challenged week in and week out much more than Central Florida was. And so, I mean, I don't want to knock them too much because who, whatever, they had a great season. They're the national champions, just ask them. They're the (laughs) national champs. Hey, you know what? Alabama can't really say shit about that because they've got a handful in there that they're throwing years up there for. You're right. Calling calling national titles that nobody else recognized at the time either. So, um, but we seem to, there seems to be a very like, I don't even know what if it's a majority or not, but there seems to be a very large segment that thinks like we need to let all these teams be a part of it. And if, you know, it, and there, there's some validity to that because they are part of the same division, right? Yes. But do we really think that like, what, who do you think had a more impressive season? Do you think that, I mean, look at who they played right now at the end of the year, you can say they beat Auburn in the bowl game, but their resume, where would you put their resume, their undefeated resume, against, you know, during the regular season, where would you put it? Are you putting it in the top four? No. Do you and, really and, think anything they did is particularly impressive? No, but and that's that's why I'm saying I, I think that would be a case for expanding it because, no, they probably didn't belong in the top four. But they also, I would say, I mean, even if you expanded it to eight, I don't think, I can't remember what the final regular season rankings were. I don't even think they were in the top eight, which was a I problem. I say they were 12 or 13. Yeah, I was going to say that was a problem in and of itself was they kind of got buried in those rankings almost uh, consciously to, you know, keep them out of the discussion. Because, like, they didn't – it was almost like the committee didn't even want to flirt with having to put them in. It's like we're just going to keep them so far out of the mix. I don't necessarily think they belong in the top four, but I absolutely would have had no problem putting them in the – you know, top 10. Yeah. Okay. And the other I mean, thing, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to fight you on that. I think that's fine. Right. And, and I'm with you that, that I, I think a separate playoff for the group of five doesn't seem like any of those conferences are interested in doing something like that. But, um, I, I mean, to me, it would be something, uh, I, I think that would be the way to go because I, I think it's kind of a farce right now. I mean, the, those small schools are basically just cannon fodder for the big schools. Um, and they really have no other reason to, to function and other, I mean, I guess some of them are probably making enough money to support their athletic department. Although I'm not even sure that's necessarily that's, always, those are few and far, but yeah, I'm not even sure that's always five, the yeah. case depending on uh, how they're managing their budgets. But um, yeah, you know, I mean, the other one is, I, I know the, the, the argument you've made is you know, destroying the, the regular the, the value and the importance of the regular season uh, I would just look at this year I, I kind of feel like Alabama getting in to a four-team playoff already did that I mean it were... definitely taints it a little bit but look I mean you can look at this year and and immediately the Ohio State Michigan game became would have become a completely meaningless because they were going to been in the, they would have been in the Big Ten championship anyways, and winning that would have guaranteed them a slot. That's what everybody's saying, at least, is if you win your conference, you get an automatic bid. Right. In this in this eight team scenario, um, games like that become meaningless if 
oh, well, it doesn't matter. We can just make up for it later. Right now, a loss in the regular season feels devastating. For Alabama, it felt somewhat devastating because they didn't really control their own destiny. If Wisconsin beats Ohio State, Alabama's not there yesterday. Right. Yeah, so, that's, that's the crazy thing. So, I mean, that was the other one. I mean, I think Wisconsin was basically begrudgingly put into the position it was. Um, and we kind of saw what, you know, the, the lack of bump that Ohio State got by beating them in the Big Ten championship game. Told us what they really thought it was. Exactly. But then again, Wisconsin comes back and beats Miami in the Orange Bowl and looked pretty damn good. So it was like, well, you know, and they played Ohio State tough. And Ohio State, their defense uh, was lights out in the Cotton Bowl against USC. So uh, I don't know that their offense was necessarily blowing anybody away, but, um, you know, they handled USC in that game. So, I mean, you, you got these other teams that I think, you know, if they get a shot in the playoff, who's to say? I mean, that's 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 sort of my point, though. You're saying if they got a shot in the playoff, who's to say? I don't, I don't, I don't want it to come down to that. I want it to tell me who the best team in the country is for the entire season, not who catches fire for three games at the end of the year. It's the biggest problem I have with March Madness. I love March Madness, but a few years ago, UConn won, and they were nowhere near the best team in the country. That was an awful tournament. But that happens. That never happens in college football. Every, I mean, you can't, in any specific year, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find eight teams that have a legit claim at being the best team in the country. This year we had five. Okay. I'm an Ohio State fan. I would rather a deserving team be left out than undeserving teams be let in. Yeah. It just, it feels like there's multiple issues that could be resolved, although perhaps uh, every bit as many uh, issues would be created by expanding the field. So who knows? I, I think eventually, and maybe the solution is eight teams without necessarily making conference champs automatic qualifiers. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I still think, like, who was eight this year? Uh, I can't, I, Penn State maybe? I think USC, Penn State is probably around there. USC might have been eight. Okay. Um, where'd Wisconsin end? Six? Yes. Those When Wisconsin lost to Ohio State, that game should have been, that game should have been important in that stage at determining who is better. I, I celebrated last year when Ohio State got in. They shouldn't have. I celebrated because I'm an Ohio State fan. <laughs> But subjectively, they did not deserve to be in last year. That is what it is. Now, in 2015, you can make the case that they did. Um, but I honestly think if during the regular season, your conference – and the playoff should be what should be one of those things that's being used to tell us which conference is better. We shouldn't be guessing and having people tell us which one is better. That's the biggest issue I have with it this year. The SEC – determined with their schedule and how they played that Alabama was not the best team in the SEC. So why do they deserve a chance to play to call themselves the best team in the country? I don't think they did. Now they obviously, they won two games and they'll have that title and they'll put that up and, and good for them. But that significantly dampens the significance that the regular season has, in my opinion. And the one thing that college football has over every other sport 
is that the regular season is far more important than it is in any other sport. Hmm. You make a compelling case, my friend. I know I do, and not enough people listen to me. <laughs> well, we need more people listening to the nail. So uh... it's like, <laughs> you, like, but you could go back and look at every season and pick out one game that was hugely impactful. That if you spread it from four to eight, that game you you'll remember watching it and being like, "Holy shit, this is a big game!" Like, can't believe this is happening. If it were an eighteen playoff, you wouldn't. That game wouldn't have made a difference. You know, the one thing that kind of remains fascinating to me with regards to college football is the method of determining the national champion has never really been settled. It's It's been this evolving process for pretty much as long as you or I have been watching sports when you really think about it. I mean, every other sport. I mean, the NFL, I mean, I think they expanded their playoffs in the 80s, but it's been the, the exact same system. Ever since the NBA, it's eight teams in each conference. NHL, same deal. And I know the NHL has kind of jostled its divisions around and, and the NBA has changed the number of games per round. Um, pretty much the same. College basketball, even. I mean, OK, so it went from 64 to 65 to 68. But again, pretty much exactly the same thing. I mean, football, though, college football, you went from all these different random bowls and let's vote on a champ on January 2nd to let's get, we'll try to get the two best teams into one bowl game. Basically um, let's vote on two champs and have them play. Right. Then it, it you know, it was let, let's get, uh, let's try to figure out a bowl game to get the best teams in. Then it was, let's, you know, create a separate national championship game outside of the, the traditional bowls but it'll still be at the bowl sites. And then it was, well, now let's go to a four-team playoff. And you're already hearing every year this four-team playoff that, you know, maybe we need to uh, expand it out to eight. And, you know, you don't get discussions like that in any other sport, do you? I mean, I, okay, I guess baseball, maybe, just because, like, if you had the wild card expanded or whatever. But um, it's just, it's fascinating to me. Like, there's never been, like, this is the way to, to determine, this is the right way to do it, to figure out who's the champ in college football. Well, one of the things that, one of the reasons is there's so few games. You only play 12 games. And a lot of teams, not a lot, but more than one or two teams every year, it seems like, go undefeated or only lose one game. So they can all sort of argue, like, hey, we should be in that. And... So fans are vocal and they're coming from all sides in every other sport. Everybody's got a few wins or a few or a few losses. Um, and, and if you get to the other sports like basketball and baseball, it's a much larger body of work. Right. Sure. So, so that's a big part of it is you don't have as much data to go off of. So there has Great to point. be a little more subjectivity to it. Um, but that said, I still don't want to get to a point where, the regular season is just a precursor. It's sort of like, and it will never get to this point, but look at the NBA for the Cavs. Regular season means nothing. We don't care at all. Every Saturday during football season, I am watching Ohio State games and they're all important to me. Some more important than others. Let's be honest. Um, But that Iowa game this year, as devastating as it was, should have felt that way. 
I shouldn't have walked away from that game where they lost 31 points and said, ah, oh, it's all right. They can make it up still. Yeah. It shouldn't be that way. And I, I, I think part of why, I mean, every Saturday in college football, there's usually a game that, that is pretty interesting. Obviously there's occasional week where nothing, nothing interesting is going on and it's sort of a dud, but there's always big stuff happening. And I, and I don't want to get to the point where when that big stuff happens, everybody walks away and it's just like, Oh, don't worry. They can make it up. Yeah. And I, I suppose the further out that you expand, the, the greater the margin of error becomes going from, going from two to four already had that effect a little bit. Sure. Um, it hasn't been huge. Um, and by and large, I think the gap from two to four during the BCS era, there was obviously several times where we're like, well, there was a couple other teams that probably could have made that claim. Um, and, you know, we left it up to polls and computers and shit. And that's never going to run people the right way. But uh, I can't at no point this season did I look at like, I don't know, the number seven or eight team and been like, yeah, that's probably the best team in the country. Yeah. So you're basically saying it, it might have been feasible that one of those teams could have gotten hot and won it, but that didn't necessarily yeah. mean that they deserve to have the shot at doing it. Yeah, of course. And I, I mean, USC, for example, they got blown out by Notre Dame. Um, I'm drawing a blank on who the other team they lost to was. Washington State, maybe? I can't remember who it was. Right. Um, but, you know, they had a couple losses in there that that kind of showed us like yeah they're probably not you know they're probably not the best team in the country Miami for a while like I think I'm not sure where Miami finished up in the playoff but they got destroyed by Clemson um and say that I can't remember who who did they lose to Pitt Pitt Clemson Pitt beat them right after Wisconsin to finish the yeah. year so say that they they got blown out by Wisconsin but didn't lose but didn't lose to Pitt say they saved that game against Pitt would you have looked at them and said, yeah, they deserve a chance to be one of the best teams in the country? No. Right. Like, those those crushing losses should hurt. And I do sort of run into the issue this year, and I think there's there's a valid claim to be made that if the SEC or, you know, any conference, for example, says this is the team, this is our champion, this is who we say is the best team in our conference, there shouldn't be some other subjective guys who say, ah, we think this other team maybe should be in there too. I do have a problem with two conferences in because I want the playoff system to help us determine which are the best instead of just assuming that we know which one is best. Because yeah. if you've got a tougher conference and a tougher schedule and you got one more loss, that's that's sort of how it should be. Well, then you get back to that lack of data points or whatever. I mean, that, that kind of would have – what you're proposing there would have bit Ohio State in the ass last year because yeah. under probably, some real fluky them. circumstances, they didn't get to – play in the conference championship game because um, they lost the tiebreaker. So I don't know, man. I just don't think there's ever going to be a perfect solution for this. And um, <laughs> long, long after we're done doing this show, I'm sure there are going to be for years to come more people uh, still arguing the merits of uh, four versus eight. And God only knows what uh, after that. So, yeah. And full disclosure, I'm fairly confident that they will expand it to probably I, I really hope they don't do six. If they're going to expand it, they have to do eight. Um, so, and I'm pretty sure they probably will at some point. Um, I just don't think it'll be good for the sport. They'll make if, a shit ton of money off of it, but I don't think it'll be good for the sport. If they do go to eight, you got to play those first round games on campus sites. 
I yes, send I, someone to Columbus. I was going to say, I want I want one of these southern schools getting sent north of the Mason Dixon line in December. Nah, they'll put them in fucking. They'll put them in neutral sites. Ugh. Enough games at the, like, at the, uh, at like the Lucas it, Oil Stadium. As gorgeous as it is, it's a fine facility, and I wish Cleveland had something like it. But I I want to see a playoff game outside. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I agree with and that. And I'll watch that, it from the that, sky cam. That would be the one thing that I think would make it worth it. Uh, all right. Any other thoughts here? No, I think that about does it. I don't. The Cavs were losing by forty last night. <laughs> did not watch a single minute of that game. I I actually did watch the entire thing. I got a late start on the championship game, and I just kind of checked the score app on my phone. Saw the Cavs were down twenty to four, and I said, "Well." Uh, if they can get back into this at some point, I'll flip it on. But otherwise, I am dialed into football for tonight for the national championship. And every time go. I kept checking, it got worse and worse and worse. And I said, okay, All it right. is uh, officially uh, Cavs January. <laughs> That'll do. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we've been down that road before. And, um, I, I'm, I'm not losing any sleep tonight over, over the Cavs. So. All right, man, this was fun. I'm uh, glad we got to break this one down. It uh, that was a fun game last night, and uh, maybe not the ending that either of us were looking for, but uh, good times nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, I I was probably I was rooting for Georgia just because I'm sort of sick of Alabama, but at the end of it, I was I didn't I didn't really care that much. Yeah. I, I think, think I was I too shell shocked seeing that in the moment, not knowing what was coming until it actually did <laughs> it. Uh, to pick my yeah, jaw up off the floor of my office. but uh, Yeah, that's valid. Yeah. All right, folks. Uh, as always, go subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, or for you Android users, we are on Google Play, and we're also on Stitcher as well. Uh, you can stream all of our episodes on waitingfornextyear.com, and we also encourage you to go like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thenailpodcast. Uh, that's going to do it for us for this week. So for Travis Uli, I am Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin and we will talk to you again soon. Pit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Ride on!